0: Hey, everyone, welcome back to BU. I have to first start off by saying thank you and OMG. The launch of this podcast has blown me away. I have seen so many of you sharing on your Facebook and Instagram profiles, your stories, texting screenshots of the episodes to your friends, sending me messages, and people from different continents are now DMing me and saying, Hey, I heard about this podcast. This is what I loved. So I want you to know that you are the reason that's happening, not me. Thank you so much for paying it forward and being generous enough to share what you loved about this with other people. So here we go with episode four, and I am certain you're going to love this. Dr. Jen Christman is someone I have followed on social media. I'm a big fan of her podcast, and we get to have her as a guest of the BU podcast today. Dr. Jen Christman is a licensed clinical psychologist, a speaker, master coach, host of the top-rated Love Your Tooth podcast, and forthcoming author. She is committed to guiding people into their highest potential through inspiring radical self-reflection and offering practical direction. While her doctoral education and formal training has provided her with valuable knowledge about different theories, interventions, and mental health, it's her life experience as an intuitive nature that makes her truly special at what she does and capable of guiding others on their own paths. Her quest to find meaning and purpose in her own life has led her to wholeheartedly believe in the healing power of compassion, tolerance, and human connection. So I asked Dr. Jen to talk to us today today about little t and big t trauma because of the first few episodes in which we touched on triggers and trauma we kind of hinted about them we've talked about the subconscious mind i couldn't think of anyone better than dr jen to really dig into the topic of trauma and to explain to us how it can be present in our lives with us not even knowing it so with that i'm going to turn it over to dr jen And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Dr. Chen, thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me. First of all, I, I love any opportunity that I get to connect and have these honest, authentic conversations with people. And, you know, I'll just dive in and start sharing my thoughts on Big T, Little T trauma. And I already have some questions for you, as far as your experience and how you came to understand and learn about the difference between traumas. But, you know, we'll, we'll start out the gates with just giving a quick explanation of what, what do we mean when we talk about Big T, little T trauma. And like you said, trauma in general is really sort of a hotbed topic right now. And predominantly in history, when we would think about trauma, we would think about these big, you know, life altering experiences that would happen. We think about, especially, I think, for people who tend to be high achievers or those who do really well in their life and tend to come from average backgrounds would hear and think about trauma. And we associate, we think, these catastrophic events. We think about accidents. We think about death. We think about overt violent abuses. And what so many of us don't realize is there are micro traumas that can occur in day-to-day life that can range a full gamut. Oftentimes when we're talking about little t trauma, little t trauma can show up as having a really loving, caring parents who is maybe a little type A and demanding in terms of expectations for performance and achieving certain grades. And the little eye roll That they can give us if we don't, if we bring home the B instead of the A, or something that people often don't realize can lock itself in the body as a trauma can be something stressful environments. If you have someone who has a sensitive demeanor and there's a car backfires outside your window, that can actually lodge itself, the startle response can lock itself in the body as a trauma without us ever consciously even knowing. That something like this happened. And so when we start to unpack this idea, this concept of trauma, we really, when we open ourselves up to not just those big violent offenses and experiences that we've been conditioned to believe, but really looking at, well, where in our life were we slighted? Where in our life did we experience something? It could be as a child falling off of a, a, a play structure. And getting, having that feeling of being really scared and, you know, parents and everyone is like, you're okay, you're okay. Uh, but that feeling of falling and hurting yourself, even though you were technically, physically okay from it, can be experienced as a little T trauma. So again, starting to open ourselves up to, it's really about creating a relationship of compassion and acceptance and acknowledgement of all of our experiences and oftentimes those experiences that we've been taught or conditioned to sweep under the rug because everyone told us they weren't really that big of a deal.
0: Yeah. So for me, you said you're going to ask me a few questions. I will openly share with our audience here, this new community we're building and with you that I do have a background of big trauma. I never knew what little T trauma was. And so I didn't know I had that too. But the interesting thing with me, and I don't know if you could talk about this for a minute, I don't know if this is common, but I was so used to the chaos and the very, very uncomfortable, I'm choosing my words wisely here, experience I had as a child. I was so used to that, that I compartmentalized so much of it that I knew something happened to me and I had the signs and symptoms of someone who had been violated or who had had something happen, quote, to them that was like a big event, but I didn't remember it. And so the interesting thing is that the trauma showed up in my life. It showed up in screaming, which of course was creating little t trauma for my kids, screaming at my kids. I don't mean like, oh, I've had a bad day, I yell a little bit. I mean, rage. I'm just so not proud of that. I mean, if I could take anything back, my kid's childhood, I know I, I did that. And it would usually be triggered around my cycle. So I thought it was a hormonal issue or doctors treated me for that, put me on medication. And I understand now that it was actually events in my life triggering the trauma from my childhood that I couldn't remember. So we could maybe talk about that for a minute. And then also maybe give some ways that you see these, even these little events showing up in women in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who are dismissing it they either don't even know it exists or if you tell them they're like yeah that's not what it is it's just that i'm stressed it's just that i'm
1: tired yeah i mean i think there's so many different pieces here and you know i will speak to what you're sharing in regards to not having the memory of it and this is a i think a huge aspect of healing and personal development that so many of us can get hooked into but what happens is the brain is this incredibly powerful protector. And when we experience something that is traumatic for us, it is very common for us to not have a conscious memory of it, especially if we're very little when it happens. However, there is this idea, there's this theory I had, you know, I mentioned it already that you know, trauma can get locked into the body. And there is there's a really famous book in the field, if you are interested at all, or if your listeners are interested called The Body Keeps the Score. And this is sort of like the upper echelon of education in regards to understanding how our bodies will hold on to trauma and experiences, even when our conscious mind and our conscious memory doesn't know about it. And so it is, I'll say it's this, there's a slippery slope here. There's two sides to this. There is, you know, you have a a beautiful opportunity to look at and take an honest inventory of your life and all aspects of your life, how you're showing up in it, how you're feeling physically in your body, illness, autoimmune, things like that, that can oftentimes be a guide. And an indicator like you're saying you're looking at yourself and how you're showing up in your relationship to your children and the screaming and saying something you know there's something here that can be a beautiful window. We also have to be mindful too that we don't spend so much time trying to figure it out and this is something that I feel really passionate about. I talk to a lot of the women that I work with about this because. A lot of us walk around without even realizing it. We're walking around in a trauma response, right? If you look at the world and the state that we're in right now, it is, you know, an entire world of overactivated amygdalas, which is our <laughs> brain's fire alarm system, reacting to everything that's happening. And so when we have this heightened awareness and we see that we're responding in this way all the time, we want to figure out why why is this happening? What's going on? And we can get really hooked into where's the trauma? I don't remember a trauma. Did it happen? And so there's also this part too, when we're doing this work that requires a, a certain level of surrender, a certain level of trust. And I always tell people that your mind will show you only what you're ready and prepared to see. And so when we're working with trauma and we have this feeling like there's something there, the inclination can be to kind of force it, to figure it out. What is it? How did it happen? How do I clear it? Let me heal this. But you can't force your mind, your unconscious to reveal something to you that your psyche isn't quite ready to handle, right? So that's what I'm saying. Like, There's kind of two sides to this process and this journey. One is looking at your life Looking at your experiences, asking yourself honestly, you know, where is this reaction coming from? Is this appropriate for the situation? What's going on here? And then also surrendering and trusting. If you don't have a conscious memory of a specific trauma, but you have, you have an inkling, you have a nudge that perhaps something did happen, trust that as you as you show up and you do the healing in your day-to-day life, that way of being in the world. Your unconscious mind will reveal only what it's ready to reveal when it's ready to reveal it.
0: yeah, it's interesting because with my own experience, I did not go on the the digging expedition of figuring it out. I followed my gut and my intuition, and I personally feel that that's God speaking to us. I didn't want to, I had no desire to. I wasn't just afraid, I and mean, there's that inner knowing you know that was telling me don't don't go there, you don't need to. It's probably not going to be pleasant and so I didn't. And I, I will tell everyone listening that as Dr. Jen is saying, you can still experience immense healing. I mean, I have had so much healing without even knowing the details. I don't need to know the details. And when you asked earlier, what do I know about little T and big T trauma? Really nothing. I mean, I just, they're out on the internet. You know, I've heard, when I heard little T trauma, I was, again, shocked because I thought all trauma was enormous and had to be, a, as you said, some sort of violation Traumatic experience, but I also want to say to the moms out there listening, don't let this be an excuse to have more mom guilt, right? I mean, now I've traumatized my kids by yelling at them about dropping their third sandwich or whatever. I mean, I know you'll give them permission to just really give themselves grace and let that go. But it is interesting to know the people who don't have the big trauma, big T trauma from their childhood. They sometimes, in my opinion, in my old, my former business, I had a large team of women. And I found women stopping themselves, blocking themselves, choosing fear, and I could even see triggers. But they were convinced that they had a great life, they had a great childhood, and so there's really nothing there. What would you say about the growth and healing that can happen for those women who don't have a traumatic event that they know of?
1: Yeah, I think that the work that I do and the way that I conceptualize the human experience is that trauma is an inevitable part of the human journey. And there are different philosophies, there are different spiritual teachings, there's different, you know, you can find this in many different formats, but there's this general understanding that I hold on to that as children, as infants, we come into this world whole. We come into this world open and prepared to receive love, to have our needs met To be unapologetic in our pursuit of those needs, if you think about an infant, they're not questioning how loud they can scream and demand that they get what they need. And so it's sort of our God-given right to have this whole expression of ourselves as we come into this world. And as we grow, we learn and our ego develops, and we learn to be afraid. We learn to silence ourselves. We learn to play small. And again, I think that the way that we learn is through some form of this trauma, whether we have this big, huge event that happens that shuts us down or or makes us scared or violates our sovereignty in some way, or if it's through the little t traumas, which we can also call relational trauma. It's sometimes known as complex PTSD is another lens that we can look at this through. But, you know, it can be as simple as a baby will go we'll stick with this analogy of the infant who's crying because they have a wet diaper and the mom keeps putting a bottle in their mouth. Right? A child in that situation. Best interest, you know, mother has, again, like I'm not trying to, no no mom guilt here, right? We're all doing the very best that we can. Part of our journey is learning how to navigate these little traumas and violations that occur to our way of being in the world. And so I think it's, you know, when I look through this lens that trauma is inevitable, inevitable, we all have it. Right. We all came into this world prepared, able, ready to receive and be seen. And at some point, something happens and we all experience a shift from that truth. And the work then becomes creating that space and allowing ourselves to go back and look and say, make a, you create a new relationship with the inner child, which is a common way of thinking about it the part of us that learned to be scared, the part of us that felt abandoned, the part of us that felt violated, learning how to create that new relationship. And all of this to say, as moms, I find for myself personally, and maybe I just tell myself this and teach this because it lets me off the hook a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? Like I know, like part of my children's path is to learn how to navigate this. My job as a parent is not to prevent them from ever experiencing trauma. My job as a parent is to teach them skills and resiliency. How do we show up in the face of trauma? How do we show up in the face of disappointment? How can my children learn how to navigate the humanity of their own mother? Right? That I am a human being just like the rest of us and I'm gonna make mistakes and I'm gonna disappoint them and And we're going to have experiences that are going to leave a mark on them. And what do we do when that happens?
0: Oh, I love that. I think we need to put that on replay. (laughs) (laughs) And, and you know, I was thinking when you just said that, that also our own trauma can cause us to want to never let our children experience trauma. Right? That's me.
1: Oh, totally. I can go on a whole tangent. Oh, Yeah. And I'm just
0: guessing, you know, I'm assuming from what you said, it makes sense to me that that's, it's my own trauma coming through that wants to make sure that my kids don't hurt at all. They don't feel any pain at all. And if they do, it's somehow my fault. I somehow caused it. I screwed up. And I had this whole story. We're going to do a whole episode on mom guilt. Maybe we'll have to have you back. I had a story, truly, so I'm turning 49 next month. I had a story that I hung on to. I mean, like, hung on to. I believed it. It's like it was tattooed on me. That I was not a good mother until a year ago,,
1: mm. and how old are your children now? They are
0: just turned twenty two and almost sixteen, and there are three and then two also extra bonus kids that I have in there, yeah, so I had that story, which it also i mean to me that just spells trauma too,
1: yeah, well, and I think you know when it comes to parenting and it comes to you know doing this work, this is why it's so important to be doing that inner work and healing because the only thing that you're experiencing in your relationships to your child is just a reflection of your own internal space. And you can think about this in terms of, you know, your child can exhibit the same behavior and one day you might lose your absolute mind, right? And scream, what are you, you know, and just go bananas and have an absolute conniption fit and another day your child might have the same do the same behavior and for every reason you're you're poised you're calm you get down on your knees you connect eye to eye with them you you acknowledge i see you let's try something else it has nothing to do with the child's behavior nothing at all to do with the child's behavior and only to do with what's going on in your own internal world but it's interesting. I want to just speak a little bit to what you're talking about that fear that we have when we do come from a trauma background and the fear of our child experiencing anything even close to what we did and that desire to protect them and being so careful. You know, I think that you can look at this pattern from a cultural perspective, from a societal perspective that we really went through this shift over the decades coming out of the 50s and 60s, where there was this really sort of a you know step back in parenting and parents were not really involved. There wasn't a lot of love and affection being expressed. And I'm speaking like obviously very general right now. This was sort of the feeling of that time period when it came to parenting and relating to children. And what happened in response was all these children grew up and the pendulum swung in response to not wanting to be like their parents. And we went into this like over-helicoptering, protecting our children from everything. And what happens when we hover and we try and protect any bump or bruise or spill or bad grade or conflict with a teacher is, again, we fail to teach our children resilience. We fail to teach them that the hardship, you know, it's a part of life that life isn't fair and that's totally okay. If like we get to learn the coping skills, we get to learn how to tolerate. We live in a world that no one knows how to tolerate discomfort. We don't know how to sit with things when they get hard. We get afraid. We have to avoid it at all costs. But when we learn that we're safe and it's okay to experience hardships, to lean into discomfort, we are so much more equipped to actually go out into the world and experience real success. I remember one time,
0: I actually can vividly remember my daughter sitting in the kitchen and she was doing her homework and very nonchalantly told me that she wasn't invited to a slumber party. And being the amazing parent I am, I'm actually just kidding. But I (laughs) then wanted to take my own take on that and project it onto her. And I said, oh my gosh, What do you mean you weren't invited? Are you the only one? She goes, "Uh, I maybe, I don't know. Maybe she was in third grade. And I said, Well, how do you feel about that? I don't know. Can I drink water? (laughs) And I said, Well, and so here I created a whole story around it for her. Yeah. Well, doesn't that bother you? Doesn't that make you feel sad? Does that make you feel, do you think you should talk to her? Do you want me to call her mom? Do you, you know, and I look back now and I laugh. I was just doing the best I could, but I, I realized that was my own, my own stuff, right? Yeah. So, when you look at, so this this podcast, you know, it's called Be You. And I called it that because I wanted to go deeper than just empowerment, which empowerment is enough and it's wonderful. But I wanted to do, have someone, have an experience for women to go through the journey of what does it even mean to be myself? What if I don't even know who I am? I'm kind of afraid to say that. I think I knew who I was when I was seven, or I think I knew who I was when I got married or before I got married. And then, is it okay to be that person? What if people think this? What if they think that? So that's what this is about. I didn't plan to ask you this, but I would love to know with all of your experience and education and background, how would you describe to the listeners your version of being you? What does that mean to you? What does that mean for women?
1: Yeah, and it's very much in line with my own podcast, which is Love, be Your Truth, which is essentially all of the parts of you. And the way that I talk about this, the way that I conceptualize and I teach this is that oftentimes, the reason why we struggle, and we don't know who am I, is because we've been conditioned, and we've been taught to look at ourselves as one dimensional, as one note, right? I am a psychologist. I am a mother. I am this. I am that. I am these labels that I've slapped onto myself. There are very few of us who are that simple most of us have all of these different parts of ourselves, And I talk about it, I use the analogy of passengers on a bus. And I'll share that with you really quickly. Have you ever heard this before? I heard you
0: share this on another podcast, and I loved it.
1: Okay, so I'll share it really quickly, because I think it's in line with this. But I describe how all of us on this human journey, we're all on our own bus on the road of life. And on this bus, we pick up passengers along the way. And these passengers are aspects of ourselves. They come from certain developmental stages that we go through. They come from specific events, memories, traumas that we have. And as we as we continue on this road of life and we collect our passengers, oftentimes what happens is we get to a point in our life where we we don't even know who our passengers are. And so we don't know who's driving our bus. And we start to develop this awareness and we, we realize, oh my gosh, I need a new driver of this bus. Right? I need my highest self to be the driver. Meanwhile, we still have a four-year-old went through something and she's trying to get into that driver's seat. And we see this and we're like, no, 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 get off, get off the bus, right? You're not driving anymore. The highest self is driving now. But what I've come to understand is that once we have those passengers on the bus, nobody's getting off. They are with us for life. And so for me, when I think about what does it mean to really be you, that means getting to know each of these different passengers, not just getting to know them, but developing a relationship with them, with these parts of ourselves. It almost sounds schizophrenic, I know. (laughs) But again, very few of us are one note, right? We all have these complex dynamic layers. We have the part of us that is deeply compassionate and connected and intuitive and then we have this part of us that is a rebellious teenager who doesn't want anyone to tell him what to do and we have this part of us who you know is a a younger version who is scared and insecure and she feels like She's going to be abandoned or neglected if somebody sees her. And so we tried, we're conditioned through life to hide certain parts, right? This part's okay, but this part's not okay, right? It's okay to be highly driven and be seen as successful and accomplished and make the seven figures and do the things. It's not okay to be needy. It's not okay to be insecure. It's not okay to express your opinion in this format or on this platform. So for me, being you is, again, allowing for it to be okay to have all of the parts of you, the parts that you have decided those look good, it's safe to share, and the parts that you have decided at some point, no, that's not a good one. I don't like that one, right? Being you is learning how to embrace all of it. Oh, it's such a beautiful
0: illustration. I love it. And I was thinking as you were talking about the women listening, again, who had a great childhood. They're like, look, I'm doing well in life. I love this. It's interesting to me, but I don't think there's any trauma in my background. I don't have that little girl. I guess my thought is, and tell me if this is correct, is first of all, it's okay for her to say that and think that. But also I would invite those women to just consider like looking in that rear view mirror because there might be, Some girls in that bus that they don't see, you know, that maybe they had a wonderful life, but at the same time, oh my gosh, I forgot that when I wasn't picked for square dancing in third grade and someone laughed at me, I forgot how much that affected me. Or I think it's such a great invitation for those people because I I work with a lot of, you know, well-adjusted, happy, thriving women who I just love the idea I'm picturing it right now of them saying, look, I don't need to look to see who's in the seats because something's wrong with me, but I'm courageous enough to look. And oh my gosh, there's that. There's that. So what are some ways that you help people discover those different girls, I'll say, and in, in, in the different stages of life that are in that bus? How do you help people identify them and then make peace with them and, and not try to kick them off the bus?
1: Yeah. So one of the simplest ways to actually do this, if you are feeling any sort of resistance and you're in that place, like, it is for, I'll just say, for me, it's really easy to identify my passengers because I, I did come from a childhood with trauma. I came from two parents who really had no business being parents when they became parents, two addicts. My mom left. I was raised by my grandmother. My dad committed suicide. There was, you know, it's easy for me to go through and see, okay, I see the four-year-old and I I see that, you know, that little girl walking down the street in the middle of the night in her nightgown from her parents' house because there was domestic abuse into her, you know, to get to her grandma's. I see the nine-year-old whose dad committed suicide. I see the angsty teenager who, you know, feels empty, tried to hospitalize herself for an eating disorder. I see all of that. Not everyone has those blaring passengers. So if if you are someone, because again, none of us get to avoid life. Life just does life and it happens. And you can come, from, like you said, from a beautiful home with loving parents. And chances are you were still a teenage girl, which let's be honest, like, there's some angst that comes with that. So one of the things that you can do that's really helpful for this is a simple timeline activity where you just go through and, and write down the major events because here's the other thing too. Part of getting to know our passengers doesn't necessarily have to be just the you know quote-unquote bad things that happen. It can also be like these really celebrated moments. It could be anything. It could be the time that you won the spelling bee and stood on stage and felt the pride at having accomplished something. So going through from birth to today and just making a timeline of all of the major key events or developmental milestones that we know about, right? Transitioning to high school. Like generally speaking, teenagers, you know, that's a developmental phase in and of itself, right? There's a shift that happens as we go from like young childhood to sort of middle childhood, that elementary school, right? preschool elementary school elementary school, into high school, into young adulthood, we can use those as a barometer. But once we've sort of identified those major times in our timeline, what I like to do is I like to, because I personally believe that healing, healing happens through embodiment. Healing happens through creativity. God speaks to us through creativity. So many of us, especially those of us that are the successful, accomplished women, we get very in our heads and we try and figure it all out. The more we can get out of our heads and try to figure it out, and the more we can get into our body, the more healing we're going to experience. So I actually like to do a creative exercise with people once they've identified who their passengers are simply based on these developmental milestones or you know any big traumas that stand out is to create a story. And storytelling has been used for thousands of years in all of the cultures. It is the way spirituality, religion has been taught. It is the way we learn to initially connect with God. It is how ancestors for generations have transmitted knowledge beyond just what we think in our minds, but you know, true experience. So I do a storytelling activity where Really creating a story about this, almost creating a character of this passenger, getting to know them. Who are they? Tell tell the journey of how they see themselves, how they see the world around them, what's their deepest fear, what who do they want to be when they grow up? How do they how do they think about themselves? How do they think about others? What are their beliefs right now about their worldviews? And almost like creating this this book of characters. And what happens when we do this is even though, even though we're thinking, we're tapping into a creative expression of ourselves. And in that creative expression too, it makes it easier to conceptualize and to think about because so many people struggle like, okay, I know my passenger, but I don't know how to connect to them. It's a lot easier if you have this you know, this character, this vision that you can connect with. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I would guess that as you're doing that
0: creatively, and you're writing about and developing that character, that the wisdom comes through then. Completely. That's when the wisdom comes to you because it can't come to you
1: without you doing that. I love this. And this is why journaling is such a powerful practice too. Again, even though, you know, when you're journaling, you're writing and so technically you're using a, you know, a higher level functioning in your brain, the prefrontal cortex, journaling is actually a creative process and so you are bridging the either hemispheres of your brain and you're tapping into the emotional center and it's why when you start journaling, you can even though it might seem on the surface, like you've thought about this problem all the time, like you know what's going on because you're constantly in your head thinking about it, but then you start journaling and you start having new insights and you start having new awarenesses. It's because you're actually tapping into a different aspect of the brain. Oh my gosh. It's so fascinating. (laughs) It's also fascinating.
0: So as we wrap here, I know how to find you, but how are the listeners find you and also learn from you besides your podcast? What if they say, yeah, well, I want you to teach me that. How how would that happen?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, well, first of all, you can find me these days, Instagram, I think is where we're all hanging out. You can find me, Dr. Jen, It's with two N's, Chrisman, find me there. And right now, I I've just actually recently restructured my offerings, which I'm really excited about. I'm no longer doing one-on-one therapy with people. I've leaned more into doing more of the healing and the embodiment work. So I do have a monthly coaching container, a monthly membership that is my it's my heart and soul right now. It's my baby. I just launched it last month and I'm really excited to get it up and, and running. And it's a monthly membership where we are... It's called the Embodied Life Experience. And... You know, it's really stemming from kind of what we've been talking about, and you know, those two decades of this work and accumulating all of this knowledge and sitting for years on end with people and watching them continue to talk about the same thing over and over and not see a lot of things change. And the reason why things don't change and the reason why you can be in therapy for your entire life is because we're not connecting into the body. And if you want healing, you have to you have to be able to express through the body the emotions that are happening. And you know, the body will release emotions in three ways. Through the breath, through movement, and through sound. And so in the embodied life experience, I you're given these tools to actually bridge that gap between knowing why you're doing something, knowing why you're stuck, and actually embodying and releasing. So we do breath work, we do journaling, there's meditations. I'm certified in emotional freedom technique, which is tapping. And I love doing that. So, and that's all in this super accessible monthly container. For people who want a little bit higher level access, I have the embodied Life mentorship, which is, uh, it's not quite one-on-one coaching, but it is an opportunity for us to connect. We get, we do a deep dive intensive of what's going on. And then it's monthly support through texts and voice notes and kind of Staying in that place of healing on a daily basis. I'm a really big believer that for me personally, I cannot rely on what I did yesterday to get me through today. And oftentimes I can't even rely on what I did this morning to get me through this afternoon. So, you know, supporting ourselves in those practices on a daily basis and, and really feeling that support underneath. And then beyond that, I do have the option of the deep dive one-on-one intensive work. But that's a little bit more, it's not as easily as accessible as the other offerings.
0: I don't know if you know, but I just enrolled in your monthly membership last week. Yay, so excited. And for everyone listening, I'm really excited as someone who has experienced therapy for years and finally learning the importance of getting into your body and really knowing nothing yet about breath work. I'm aware of it, but not practicing it. I cannot wait to do it. So if anyone listening wants to enroll and be a fellow student with me, I'll be doing it right along with you.
1: It is such a beautiful practice. I love all of them. I really love the EFT. It's As a psychologist, that was an easy bridge to start bringing in to my work because there's been so much research done on it. And it's awesome for like in the moment, really quick, if you're having anxiety, it just neutralizes your nervous system. So I love EFT, but I love breath work. I mean, I watch... The transformations and the breakthroughs and the release that happens during a 45 minute breathwork session. You take a journey of healing that I can't even put words to it. And I'm a very wordy person (laughs) because it's so, so profound and so powerful. And truly, one of those things like you just have to experience it to really wrap your head around because you can have in a breathwork session, you can have memories come up you can have hallucinations which is interesting you can have visions you can have the downloads and the insights you can have a purely somatic experience where it's literally just parts of your body again we're not consciously doing any of this it's just that with the breath that's happening part of your body start vibrating start shaking and it's really it's that Emotion is that trapped energy being released because that's all a feeling is. That's all an emotion is. There's nothing woo-woo about this. There's nothing, you know, that isn't scientifically backed in research. That an emotion is is literally an electric charge or a vibration in our body that happens, that we then attach a thought and a story to. And so, you know, because of the thoughts, because of the stories, you know, that some emotions tend to get more lodged than others. And through the power of the breath alone, we are able to actually release this trapped, stored, stuck energy. And it is truly, truly life-changing. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love it. I do too. (laughs) I could talk about this for days and days. Same. I really, I just get so excited and light up whenever I... Get to do that, and I—I I
0: love. That you can just hear in your voice how much you love what you do, and that you're passionate about it. So, thank you so much for your time. You are so welcome. And this was a wonderful, wonderful first journey into this, and I can't wait to have you back at some point.
1: Yeah, it would be my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Dr. Jen.
0: Thank you so much for joining me on BU. I know there was something in this episode you were meant to hear, so let me know in a DM on Instagram at jillhermanbu. Be sure to subscribe to the BU podcast, and if you have iTunes, I would so appreciate you rating the podcast and leaving a comment with your biggest aha or takeaway. Sharing a screenshot of this episode on your story is the best way for us to reach women just like you. And if you send a link to a friend, let her know what unique quality she has that the world needs more of. If this is your first visit, welcome to our BU Collective, where we get honest about what it takes to find our true self so we can set her free and start living.